This is VOA News. Reporting by remote, I'm Joe Ramsey. Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett's office announced his weakened coalition will be disbanded and the country will head to new elections. Bennett has struggled to keep his unruly coalition of eight parties together and defections have left the crumbling alliance without a majority in parliament for over two months. Bennett and his main coalition partner, Yair Lapid, decided to present a vote to dissolve parliament in the coming days, Bennett's office said Monday. Lapid is then to serve as caretaker prime minister. The election expected in the fall would be Israel's fifth in three years. The vote could set the stage for a return to power by longtime Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who is now the opposition leader. Israel held four inconclusive elections between 2019 and 2021 that were largely referendums about Netanyahu's ability to rule while on trial for corruption. Netanyahu denies wrongdoing. Russia's military machine pounds eastern Ukraine. AP correspondent Jennifer King reports. Fierce fighting continues in the Donbass region of Ukraine. President Volodymyr Zelensky says the Russian army is concentrating artillery, aerial attacks, and offensive forces. Battles have been raging in villages in eastern Luhansk. And local governor Serhei Haidai tells the Associated Press the situation in Severodonetsk is very difficult. He says Ukrainian forces hold just one area, the Azot chemical plant, where a number of fighters and hundreds of civilians are taking shelter. It's just hell there, he writes. Everything is engulfed in fire. The shelling doesn't stop even for an hour. I'm Jennifer King. Find more at voanews.com. This is VOA News. East African leaders agreed Monday to establish a regional force to try to end conflict in the east of the Democratic Republic of Congo and called for an immediate ceasefire, the Kenyan presidency said. The announcement was made after a meeting in Nairobi of the seven-member East African community on the security situation in the eastern DRC after a flare-up of violence. Heavy fighting in the eastern DRC has revived decades-old animosities, with the DRC blaming neighboring Rwanda for a recent resurgence of the M23 militia. Rival sides in Libya's long-running conflict concluded their latest round of United Nations-led talks on Monday without reaching a deal on rules for long-delayed elections, the UN said. The presidential and parliamentary elections, originally set for December 2021, were meant to cap a UN-led peace process following the end of the last serious round of violence in the country from 2019 to 2020. But the vote never took place due to the presence of contentious candidates and deep disagreements over the polls' legal basis between rival power centers in the east and west of the country. Representatives of the Tripoli-based High Council of State and of the Parliament based in eastern Libya began meetings in Cairo more than a week ago, but without success. Thousands of students from state universities have marched in Sri Lanka's capital to demand the president and prime minister resign over an economic crisis that has caused severe shortages of essential supplies and disrupted people's livelihoods and education. The students say the president is responsible for the economic crisis, the worst since independence in 1948, and the new prime minister, who took over the position a little more than a month ago, promising to end shortages, has not delivered pledges. Sri Lanka is nearly bankrupt. 
Its foreign reserves are nearly gone. It's unable to import food, fuel, cooking gas, and medicines. A lack of fuel to run power stations has resulted in long daily power cuts. Recapping our top story, Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett's office announced his weakened coalition will be disbanded and the country will head to new elections. Bennett has struggled to keep his unruly coalition of eight parties together and defections have left the crumbling alliance without a majority in parliament for over two months. Bennett and his main coalition partner, Yair Lapid, decided to present a dissolved parliament in the coming days, Bennett's office said Monday. Lapid is then expected to serve as caretaker prime minister. Another election would be Israel's fifth in three years. Reporting by remote, I'm Joe Ramsey, VOA News. From Washington, VOA presents Issues in the News. Hello and welcome to Issues in the News. I'm Kim Lewis and joining me on the panel this week are senior reporter for Marketplace, Nancy Marshall-Genzer, and VOA senior national affairs correspondent, Chris Simpkins. Welcome, Nancy and Chris. Hello. Good to be with you, Kim. Well, here are the issues. The Federal Reserve did something and hasn't done in over 28 years. It increased interest rates by three quarters of a percentage point. The increase comes amid inflation and volatile financial markets. President Biden called on U.S. oil refiners to produce more gasoline and diesel, saying their profits have tripled during a time of war between Russia and Ukraine as Americans struggle with record high prices at the pump. The U.S. Senate's swift push to pass bipartisan gun violence legislation got a major boost when Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell tossed his support behind the framework as negotiators push for a vote to take place soon. The push comes after two recent mass shootings in Texas and New York. While voters from different sides of the country headed to the polls, lending some new insight into what to expect going into the general election in November. And President Biden announced plans to send $1 billion in security assistance to Ukraine that will include a weapons package to help the country fight off Russian forces. President Biden also announced an upcoming trip in July to the Middle East with a stop in Saudi Arabia and a meeting with the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. In cities across the country, people of all races, nationalities and religions are joining hands to acknowledge the federal holiday Juneteenth a time to observe a period in our history that continues to influence our society today. Well, those are the issues, and let's get started. Nancy, what can you tell us about the Federal Reserve's hike in interest rates, and how will this affect Americans? This is the biggest interest rate hike since 1994, and it could have a huge effect on Americans, especially people who are trying to buy a house, because Mortgage rates have nearly doubled already just since the start of the year. So people will be spending hundreds of dollars more per month on a mortgage if they're trying to buy a house. Also, credit card rates are already up in the double digits. So people will pay a lot more if they want to borrow money. Also, President Biden is calling on gasoline and diesel producers to address price increases at the pumps and still saying these increases are caused by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So at this point, what is going to be the strategy to counteract these high gas prices? 
I think the strategy is to try to put more pressure on oil producing states to increase their production. Also trying to get some U.S. oil companies to increase their production. They claim that they are being hampered by the fact that a lot of their refineries are down and that they've had a hard time trying to get them back going because they have to meet certain environmental standards that have been imposed by the Biden administration. Administration. So I think the big thing is to try to increase the supply in order to bring down the gas prices. But it looks like it's going to take a little while for that to happen. And President Biden sent a letter to seven oil companies uh, earlier this week, and he said his administration is prepared to use all reasonable and appropriate federal government tools and emergency authorities to increase refinery capacity and output. But it was a pretty vague threat. He didn't say exactly what the administration would do. And there is a logistical issue here. Some oil companies actually closed refineries last year after demand plummeted during the pandemic. One of Philip 66's refineries was closed in Louisiana because it had years of hurricane damage. And so Phillips just thought, well, demand is down anyway. We don't want to fix this thing again. And they just closed it. And I look at the roads. I don't see any decline in Americans' driving habits right now. They're willing to pay these higher gas prices and demand is going to continue to remain high as we go into the summer holiday driving season when you're going to have millions of Americans on the road. So it will be interesting to see as these gas prices continue to climb, when will Americans' driving habits reflect that and start to taper off a little bit. The Biden administration has also accused the oil companies of kind of using the war in Ukraine as a way to increase their profits since the war is pushing up oil prices. And a number of oil companies had a meeting with Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm. Again, it's not clear exactly how the administration could force them to produce more, but it is definitely trying. Also, according to the latest report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the annual inflation rate in May was 8.6 percent, its highest level since 1981, as measured by the Consumer Price Index. So when you look at this in comparison to some of the other countries who are also experiencing inflation, where does the U.S. fit into this And how concerned are economists about a recession in the U.S.? Well, Chair Powell at his press conference this week did mention that other countries are also facing high inflation. The Fed is trying to raise interest rates in an effort to cool off the economy. And the thinking goes that if it costs more to borrow money, then consumers and businesses will spend less and that cools off the economy and lowers inflation. But Powell did mention there are a number of things out of the Fed's control like the war in Ukraine pushing up commodity prices and also snags in the supply chain. I think inflation is really hitting a lot of American families hard. They spent $350 more per month this year than last year. And some things like gas prices, also rent is up 26, almost 27%. So Americans are having to shell out 
more money for everyday things that they need to sustain themselves. And if we can see an economic decline, you wonder about things like stagflation. Now, the components of stagflation are usually high unemployment and high inflation and slow economic growth. Well, one of those components we don't have, and that's high unemployment. Unemployment is very low right now in this country, But we do have signs of an economic slowdown and very high inflation on the horizon. And it's interesting, members of the Federal Open Market Committee, which is the Fed panel that sets interest rates, they make projections about the economy and they made some new projections this week. And they are predicting higher unemployment coming up, higher than they predicted back in March, the last time they made these predictions. So now they're projecting higher unemployment, higher inflation, and lower economic growth. Yes, and then we have the midterms coming up in November. So I'm sure this is still going to be one of the top issues that Americans will be concerned about. So how will this affect Democrats in November? It's not good news. I mean, the thing is, inflation is right in front of everybody's face all the time. You drive past the gas station, you see the prices, you fill up, you see how much it costs you to fill your tank. You go to the grocery store and, you know, I've been shocked at how much prices have increased. And the packaging is smaller. So you have shrinkflation. You're paying more for a smaller package of whatever it is you're buying. So this is uppermost on consumers' minds because every time they turn around, they see inflation. Yes. And we'll just move on and go to our next topic where Congress is working to pass bipartisan gun violence legislation before the July 4th federal holiday. The proposal received a major boost when Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell tossed his support behind the framework. How important was it to get the backing of McConnell on this proposed legislation? I think extremely important. There are a number of moderate senators led by John Cornyn of Texas, Republican senators who have said, you know, they will go along with this pretty modest package of gun control measures. Basically, these measures say if you're under the age of 21, you want to buy a firearm, there has to be an investigative period where your juvenile and mental health records are reviewed. And that could take up to three days under the legislation. So that's kind of a de facto waiting period. And this framework also calls for unspecified penalties for straw purchases of firearms. So penalties for people who traffic guns, they would face new penalties. I think some gun control advocates are looking at this movement among lawmakers as a positive step, albeit a small step, but they like the idea that there has been movement after some pretty uh, horrific mass shootings in this country just in the last few months. And I think the lawmakers went back to their home districts and got an earful from people who are concerned about the rise in gun violence, about young people involved in mass shootings, and they want lawmakers to do something about it. Republicans are not willing to go as far as Democrats on some of these measures. I think Republicans would like to see money put towards improved mental health services for 
people to prevent this type of violence from happening, because clearly the gunmen in the last few incidences were uh, suffering tremendously from mental illness issues, and also beefing up security at schools and other public places. In Ohio, they've talked about proposals to arm teachers beginning this fall. Measure just passed there. So I think that's about as far as we're going to see lawmakers go on these gun control measures. And it's interesting, the gun rights lobbyists on Capitol Hill are kind of divided about this. Some of the no compromise groups, like the Gun Owners of America, they're a smaller hardline group. They say this is a do or die moment and they're being sold out by these Senate Republicans who are negotiating this fairly modest piece of legislation. And then you have the National Rifle Association, which is the largest and oldest gun rights group. And they haven't said much. This framework of this possible compromise legislation was released on Sunday and the NRA wouldn't comment and said it would you know, wait for the full legislative text and wait for the bill to be written before it actually weighed in. That could be a sign that it's weakening. The NRA has had a lot of internal strife or maybe it's just decided that it's going to let a more modest package of legislation actually go through. Also looking at the House passing the Supreme Court Parity Act, which offers around-the-clock security protection to family members of Supreme Court justices and any officer of the bench if the court-martial deems it necessary. So in looking at the recent alleged assassination attempt on Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh at his home, it appears These added security measures are needed, especially as we look ahead to the Supreme Court's official decision coming up on Roe v. Wade. Well, House Democrats had wanted more people to be covered by this legislation. They wanted protections for clerks at the Supreme Court and staffers who were actually helping write decisions. The Senate wouldn't go for that. So in the end, only the justices are protected. And we'll we'll see if that's enough. I think you've got to really take some extra efforts to protect the justices. There is an old law on the book that says that they are supposed to be protected and there are supposed to be no protest outside their homes. A lot of people have criticized the administration, including the Justice Department, for not enforcing these no protest zones outside of the Supreme Court justices' homes. But in light of everything that's happened in light of a pending decision that is coming down that could possibly overturn Roe v. Wade and abortion rights, that they increase the security around there and protect the justices who might be influenced by hundreds of protesters outside their home. So it's important to maintain that security and heighten security for the justices. Well, looking across the country, voters from different sides headed to the polls on June 14th, lending some new insight into what to expect going into the general election in November. And let's just look at just some quick takeaways. Former President Trump saw yet another high-profile defeat after incumbent Representative Nancy Mace won her Republican primary against Trump-backed challenger 
Kate Arrington in South Carolina's first congressional district. Also, I guess I should add that Mace did not vote to impeach the former president after the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol. She did not object to certifying the 2020 election results and later voted to refer to the Justice Department's criminal contempt case against Trump ally Stephen Bannon, brought by the House Select Committee investigating the Capitol riots. Does the January 6th investigation is playing any type of role in some of these primaries? It certainly could be. I mean, it's got a lot of voters' attention. I think about 20 million people watched the first hearing. And Congresswoman Mace upset Trump because she did vote against both of Trump's impeachments, but she upset the president because she supported Vice President Mike Pence's position that he just didn't have the constitutional authority to overturn the 2020 election. But then she actually made a video outside of Trump Tower and she said, look, I was one of Trump's earliest supporters and people make fun of her for that, but maybe it worked. I don't think the January 6th committee is going to help Liz Cheney with her re-election bid. She may have a hard way to go because she has obviously been one of the most outspoken Republicans in the House of Representatives to condemn former President Trump and also accuse him of trying to carry out a coup in following the election. So I think that's going to make it hard for a lot of these people who have condemned Trump to possibly win in November. We will see, but probably one of the biggest targets as far as the former president would be to see that Liz Cheney go down in defeat in November. And just for the sake of time, I will mention one other race, and then we will have to move on to our break. But Republican Maya Flores won a special House seat for Texas' 34th Congressional District. She is also the first Mexican-born woman to fill a seat in the House. In looking at this, does her win raise alarm bells for Democrats in Texas who are trying to turn the red state blue? I certainly think it does, because this is the first special election where a Republican has defeated a Democrat and narrowed the margin of the Democratic control in the House of Representatives. A lot of political analysts say this is a sign of things to come and that the Democrats can lose control of the House of Representatives come November and the midterm elections. This is also an important area that Joe Biden did fairly well well in, but this latest election has showed that Republicans appear to be making a little inroads with Latino voters, and that will be important in a lot of contests as they plan to try to take control uh, over Congress in November. She's only holding the seat until the next election, which will be in November. There will be redistricting, so the district will be withdrawn. So you'll have a different mix of people voting. So she may not hold that seat too long. Very interesting. We'll have to see how this develops in the months ahead. Well, it's time now for a quick break. And when we return, we'll look at some international developments, including how the U.S. and NATO are working to help Ukraine fight against Russia. Issues in the News is coming to you from the Voice of America in Washington. If you would like to download the program, it's free on iTunes. 
Just click on the iTunes tab on our website at voanews.com. While you're there, check out our other programs, Press Conference USA and Encounter. Also visit us on Facebook and leave a comment or two, then like us at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Now back to our panel via Skype, Senior Reporter for Marketplace, Nancy Marshall-Genzer, and VOA Senior National Affairs Correspondent, Chris Simpkins. Well, President Biden announced he is sending another $1 billion in military aid to Ukraine. So will the U.S. and NATO, how long will they be able to continue to help finance Ukraine's fight against Russia? Well, the U.S. has already supplied about more than $5 billion assistance to Ukraine just since Russia invaded in late February. So the money is, is really starting to add up. President Biden has said that we need to determine how this war is going to end. But he did say Ukraine's president, Zelensky, is the one who really should make that call in negotiations. I think that the European officials are trying to work with other NATO members to forge some type of peace talk, because I think the recognition among at least European leaders is that a protracted war will have a continued greater cost on the world economy. As we've already seen, everybody around the world is suffering from economic conditions that appear to be worsening. So I think trying to forge some type of peace settlement is key, but it's going to be difficult as fighting continues to rage on. And I think this latest economic aid is a sign that the United States really needs to step up its military assistance now, as some reports appear to be suggesting that Russia is making gains in the eastern part of Ukraine and that there is heavy fighting and that Ukrainian forces are having a hard time trying to maintain a, a wall of defense against increasing Russian heavy artillery bombardment. Yes, and also President Biden announced a trip to the Middle East coming up in July with a stop in Saudi Arabia and a meeting with the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Well, there are many speculations on this trip given the timing of it. Some are saying, is this a request for more oil? And if so, how will the president contend with the backlash? Well, Biden administration officials say that the president is going to have a bilateral meeting with King Salman and the king's leadership team. And they say, look, the crown prince is on that leadership team. He's the defense secretary. So, of course, he needs to be in the room for that meeting. And that's how they're justifying it. But the pictures of them together will not look good. I think there's also a feeling in the administration is that they still need to deal with Saudi Arabia despite alleged human rights violations and alleged being behind the killing of the journalist Khashoggi. But I think Biden wants to send a message that we have provided a lot of military assistance to Saudi Arabia. We want them to take a harder stance against Russia and Russia's actions 
actions in Ukraine. And we also expect them to step up to the plate and do what they can and everything that Saudi Arabia can to push more oil production. I mean, they're the largest oil producer in the world. And I think Biden's going to be stressing to them that we need this oil production increase right now to help stabilize our economy in the world, global economy. We'll just move on so that we can get in our last topic. In cities across the country, people of all nationalities are joining hands to acknowledge Juneteenth. And we will also be discussing Juneteenth in a very special press conference USA show. So be sure to listen into that. What would you say the legacy of Juneteenth is to you? Well, you know, this holiday came about because on June 19th, 1865, finally a Union general arrived in Galveston, Texas to tell slaves there that actually they were free and the Civil War had ended. General Robert E. Lee had surrendered two months earlier. I think the holiday had been recognized in Texas and in various states, but President Biden just signed legislation making it a national celebration. And I think it's just going to grow in importance every year. I think it's an important national recognition of the sacrifices millions of enslaved black people made in the United States. And the acknowledgement, even though this was a dark stain in U.S. history, the importance of the emancipation of these enslaved people in the United States. And I think right now the celebration and observances are going to take on greater meaning. I think it's going to put more of a spotlight on the history and people's understanding of what the Civil War was fought over, and that was slavery. And so many sacrifices that African Americans made and their contributions to helping shape and build this country into the greatest country in the world. And I also think that this is a good time for people to really get out and it not just be celebrated by African-Americans, but by all Americans. But I see the holiday going forward more focused on educating people about the history and the sacrifices African-Americans made and how far they've come since the Civil War. And we will end the show on that nice note. I thank you both for your thoughts on Juneteenth. My thanks to our panelists, senior reporter for Marketplace, Nancy Marshall-Genzer, and VOA senior national affairs correspondent, Chris Simpkins. I'm Kim Lewis, and be sure to visit our new website at voaafrica.com for all of your current affairs programs and lots more. And thanks for joining us for Issues in the News. 